welcome to the Documentary Storytellers Podcast. My name is Chris King, and this week I'm speaking to Aubrey Canfield, a media producer from the United States and founder of a company called Actuality Abroad. Actuality Abroad is a social enterprise that uses documentary storytelling as a means to provide more meaningful travel experiences. And as you'll hear, Aubrey has a wealth of knowledge and experience in crafting stories visually. And together we discuss the art and practice of documentary storytelling, from the hero's journey to effective production workflow, along with the ethics of telling other people's stories, and much, much more. There's a lot to take away from our chat in terms of how we can approach film production in a more considered and effective manner. As I interview more people, we'll be learning more and more about different approaches to documentary film production. But I'd be interested to hear your approach, what lessons you have learned, and what does your current workflow look like, from research to post-production and even any tips you have on submitting to film festivals. Get in touch via chris at documentarystorytellers.com and I'll start sharing people's top lessons and tips via social media. I would really like to build a community around this podcast so we can help one another become better storytellers and maximize our impact. I don't know how I'm going to do that exactly, but I hope to find a way of achieving this soon. In the meantime, please share this podcast with everyone and anyone you know who's interested in documentary filmmaking. And if you have any comments or feedback, please email me at chris at documentarystorytellers.com. So... Here's my chat with Aubrey Canfield. If you wouldn't mind just um, introducing yourself and the work you do as a documentary storyteller. Sure. So um, my name is Aubrey Canfield. I'm based in the United States uh, and I'm a media producer and I lead an organization called Actuality Abroad where we arrange educational travel experiences for storytellers. So as a social impact organization, we produce short form documentary stories, both um, video and photography that feature the work of change makers around the world um, and hopefully help further their mission. How do you choose the change makers that you work with? We have a kind of ongoing research um, and then vetting process. So a lot of times we'll choose the destinations based on where we feel there's an interest from our community to go into travel to. And then there's certain databases of organizations who've already done a lot of the legwork to find social entrepreneurs or change makers in these destinations. And there's just like a database of, of organizations. And we'll reach out to many of them and say, hey, we're coming with a crew of citizen storytellers. We're interested in doing some pro bono uh, documentary work or photography work. If you're interested, will, will you fill out this like short survey? And... Basically, we have a couple little kind of hoops to jump through on their end to make sure that this is something that they really want to do, that they have time for it in in their schedule, and that they have progressed enough as an organization to be able to have some interesting stories to tell. Um, and as part of that, it starts, you know, online remote, and then we have little calls like this. Um, to make sure that they understand what they're getting into, that they, they and their constituents welcome this, the, this kind of endeavor, and that they, um, know, they have the right resources in place for it to be successful. And what was the motivation behind this? Like, what inspired you to create this? Well, this is a little bit of a long story, so I'll try, I'll try to, I'll, I'll try to pause so you can edit out the parts that you're interested in, um, but. I'm from a family of filmmakers, so I, I grew up on set, um, but, it, but, not, but not documentary. So uh, my father was a cinematographer um, on like bigger budget like Hollywood films and TV shows, and 
what I loved about it, because I, I really did get an opportunity as a teenager to go on to sets that a lot of people don't have access to. And what I loved the most about it was being part of a crew. Like all these different people from all walks of life, all focused on this like specific creative endeavor. Like, I just thought it was so fun and the energy was so amazing. But when, well, so I started my own career. I went to film school. I went out to LA after a while and it was all focused on like bigger budget Hollywood type production. And in LA, I started working in production offices for the people who really make the movies. And by that, I mean like the people who fund it, the people who, um, cut the deals, the people who actually like make it happen. And I realized that I really hated it. Like I, I hated the culture. It's so negative and ego-driven and fear-based. And I, it, it's, it's, it's all the horror stories you've heard about Hollywood. It's all of that. And also I'm a traveler. Like it's a part of my identity. Like I have to travel. That's, that is what brings me the most amount of joy. But in that industry, like many industries, the bosses, they think that they own your time and they expect you to be always available for, to meet whatever whim they, like they, it just takes over your whole life. And I wasn't willing to do that. I wasn't willing to give up my life. I, I couldn't take off the time. I couldn't take off time off of work. And so I had to stop traveling in order to, to build this, this career in a culture that I wasn't really, was realizing that I wasn't a big fan of. So I quit the film industry at the ripe old age of 23. And I, uh, I left Los Angeles and I went traveling. I taught English in Thailand for a while. That was something that I always wanted to do, but I put it off or I, I, I didn't go because I was like, I have to get my I have to get my career started. And I still love storytelling and I loved being part of a crew, but I, I really had to figure out a way to do that outside of the realm of Hollywood. So on these travels, um, of course, you learn a lot about yourself. And one of the things that I discovered is that I really like things that are real. I'm not a big fan of theme parks, for instance. And in my travels, I kept like sidestepping the touristy experiences or like the constructed performances to go out into like neighborhoods and like just go to like wander on local shops and street food stalls. And I was, I was often limited by language a lot, um, but you can still experience so much like just through observation, like just being there and kind of taking it all in. So what I found, what I was drawn to was trying to understand how people live differently or how people live in this different place. And I enjoy all kinds of stories. I'll watch a whole slew of different kinds of movies, but what I wanted to really immerse myself in was stories about real life. So when I was done with that little bout of travel, then I came back to the States. I was abroad for about just about a year um, and I needed to find a way to support myself because I wasn't going to go back to working in Los Angeles. And I was so burnt out about this idea of being employed and how limiting that was for my life that I, I knew that I had to start something of my own, like in order to maintain like the sense of freedom that I, that I really wanted. So 
on a whim, uh, a mentor of mine gave me a book on social entrepreneurship to read. And this was back in 2009. Um, most people hadn't really heard of the term social entrepreneurship. And the book, it's a little bit heavy handed in the title, but the book is called How to Change the World. And it's written by a man named David Bornstein. And he, and he, um, he founded an organization called Ashoka. What I learned in this book, is that there are individuals out there in communities all over the world who are actually solving problems. Like not charity, not a band-aid, like literally changing the course of people's lives for the better and in every sector, in energy, in healthcare, in education, in climate. And oftentimes they even have like a simple, sustainable business model that enables them to scale and not be dependent on donations or foreign, foreign aid. And so Ashoka is, for folks who are not familiar, provides seed funding to social entrepreneur, entrepreneurs like this. Um, and the book that I was reading was essentially like case studies about like a few of their most successful fellows. Ashoka's database is one of the places that we look when we're looking for um, change-making partners in different countries. So I was entirely enamored by this idea that individuals are using business and enterprise to make their communities and the world a better place. And that's what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to be involved in the work somehow. Like I wanted to be a change maker, but I didn't have a cause to champion. I didn't even really have a community because I had been traveling and I hadn't been home to my hometown in ages. So my mentor challenged me to figure out how maybe I could support the sector of social entrepreneurship as a whole. Like, what could I do to help other change makers? And so that led me to consider, I wonder if I could help them tell their stories. So lots of trial and error later, we created this service learning model with Actuality Abroad, where the intention is that all kinds of storytellers can travel to learn and contribute with their stories. And all of that is inspired by change makers. In terms of um, the method that you use, so you're actually, um, essentially flying people in to these locations and you're supplying the crew, you're supplying the equipment and uh, the storytellers and they as outsiders come in and work with the, the individuals within the organization to share their story. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And is there is there ever a time where you actually um, empower the people within the organizations themselves uh, to tell their stories through their eyes and in in their words so like more participatory approach yeah yeah i know what you're asking um so yes and no so yes in the sense that over the years we have increasingly put an emphasis on direct collaboration with the with the people on the recording side of the screen so uh, it's not like we show up as a crew of very much outsiders and say, this is the story that we're going to tell. It's more like we show up as travelers saying, we think that what you're doing here is really cool. We would love to document your work and your wisdom. Let's do this together. And so as storytellers, we can think about things about like structure, like how, like how are we going to craft the story of real life? How are we going to visually document it so it, it's, it communicates the feeling that we all want to convey? But it is the, the folks who own the story, the folks whose story it is, that are very much involved in the, this is, this is what I'd like to share 
with a wider audience or we should really go and check out this aspect of our work because I think this is more important to shine a light on. So the community, the individuals and the communities that we work with are very much a part of the storytelling, but we don't, as of right now, do workshops or any kind of um, educational focus where we go in as instructors to teach community members how to tell stories within their own community. There are or other organizations who do, do that, who do do that kind of work. We thought about it in, in the past. Um, we have not engaged in it for a few different reasons, but if it were to ever become a part of our work, I would actually prefer that it would not be people like me that show up in, let's say, Cambodia to teach Cambodians how to tell Cambodian stories, but rather that we find a way to fund a Cambodian filmmaker, photographer, storyteller to lead workshops in their ex expanded community. Okay. And in terms of then uh, this collaborative approach that you've taken in getting the change makers, these organizations to share their story, helping them to share their story, what impact do you think that's had on, on these organizations? Has it had the impact that you hoped it would? Has it helped them to move forward and engage more people and, and engage with a wider audience and get more support? And, what, what impact has, has your, have your activities had thus far? So this is really important to think about. There's a, um, a photographer that I follow named Danny Conda Silva, who I was listening into a talk that she was giving a couple months ago. And she reminded me that like in her work, she doesn't say it's for everybody, but in her work, it's not about awareness. It's about impact. Like we've had plenty of awareness. Now it's about impact. And I like to use that as a mantra sometimes to think when we think about, okay, where, where should we be putting our efforts? Period. Where should we be putting our efforts? And it's not about awareness. It's about impact. So the stories that we produce, that we and our crews produce, are tools for impact. But somebody, somebody or some entity needs to wield those tools with intention and strategy. So a film or a photo existing is not enough, right? So our crews will often discuss distribution strategies or outreach campaigns with our partner organizations in country, but it really always comes down to the local leadership. Like we deliver these media tools that we co-create, but it's up to them how they wield it. However, there's a really interesting immediate impact that our work has that we didn't really anticipate at first. It's the impact of someone being recognized by outsiders as important in their community, important enough to make a film about. So when we come and arrive to, to a community that's not our own and we partner with change makers that, that we have found and connected to while we weren't here yet, it brings a lot of like positive energy and attention to that organization and to the individuals that are in it just because we show up and we're like giving them our attention. So this builds up like status and prestige in the community and it, it actually has a really big impact on all the individuals that we work with, like just their own self-esteem and like shoring up their intrinsic motivation to like to keep on with the hard like world changing work. And it almost always leads to additional partnerships or resources like in the community or in the region or in the country. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's because filmmaking is a lot of 
concentrated energy, like the crew vibe that I love so much since I was a kid, like it attracts attention and more usually positive energy. And so it's like the act of being part of a documentary film itself has a big impact, sometimes even bigger than what the final film, like delivering the final film may result in. So for instance, last summer I was doing some citizen storytelling work in Monteverde, Costa Rica. It was just on my own. It wasn't even with like a larger crew of storytellers. Um, and I, I reached out to this organization called the Monteverde Community Fund. And they are an organization that figures out really ingenious ways to raise money in the community, like from tourism endeavors, and then invest that into small community projects. And so the, the storytelling project that we were doing was interviewing like the leaders of each of these small community projects that had received funds from the Monteverde Community Fund to either seed a project or help them grow or leverage their resources. So it wasn't even until we were doing these interviews that like one of the coordinators of the organization heard firsthand what kind of impact their community fund was making in the community. Like they just hadn't gotten it together to like do the exit interviews or, or whatever it is that they need to do to be like, okay, we know it works, but how? And so in the course of just, it was the act of doing the interviews of like saying, I have a camera and a microphone, let's, let's show up and, and record and set the intention to document what happened that had kind of these all like other like ripple effects. Like they're, they're also grateful for like the finished little micro docs series that we did, that these tools to communicate that impact further, but the immediate knowledge that she gained is going to shift how the organization moves forward, like in the immediate future. And it would not happened if I hadn't shown up with a camera and said, let's document some stuff. <laughs> oh, it's, it's amazing to hear that um, it is having that kind of impact. Um, but in, in terms of the situation with actuality uh, abroad, do you think it would have the same impact if a Cambodian did go in to work with a Cambodian organization. Is part of the, the impact and, and this increase in status and, and prestige and all that you've, you've uh, talked about a consequence of you know, outsiders coming in and particularly potentially people from the global north coming in and working within this community and f with this organization? Do you think that same impact, that same ripple effect would uh, be generated by uh, a local coming in and working? with the same organization. That's a really interesting thought. Um, and yeah, that's that's really complex. I mean, there is definitely a clout of outsiders and honestly of white people coming in and paying their attention in that specific way, like 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 local communities and, and governments that are dependent on tour tourism in any manner, like they care what um, people like our crews pay attention to. Um, oh, it's a really interesting thought. I, I, I don't know, but now I'd like to go and interview some filmmakers working in their own community to see what their experience has been like, whether that, like wherever their community or their extended community, if they've had a similar experience as I have. Huh. Because this, this also plays into the whole participatory versus, um, outsider coming in. Um, you know, giving, empowering people to tell their own story 
or going in and collaborating with them to, to help them tell their story. I think that plays a role. And, and you mentioned that there are a few things, there are a few reasons why you're not going down the participatory approach or um, empowering people and training them up. What would those be if you're happy to share? Sure. Um, so part of it comes down to business model. So like, so we, we, are, we are a social enterprise and our whole organization is funded through the program fees that the travelers pay to participate. So to do a workshop where, or any kind of program where the participants weren't paying their own way would require another kind of funding. So that would require going and tracking down grants to pay for it, or possibly increasing the price of our existing programs that we have typically people from the global north enroll in, increasing the price of those programs so that a percentage of it went to cover the outreach local workshops that we potentially could develop. And then it's also about so I used to think that what we did when we first started as an organization was to tell the stories about change makers. I used to think that's why we existed. But I came to realize over several years that as great as that, that work is and as, as a pre valued as it is by the people that we collaborate with, truly the biggest impact of what we are doing is on the travelers themselves on like the transformative nature of traveling to a community that's not your own and learning how to tell stories in collaboration with people who live differently than you and to do it in a way that is as ethical and equitable um, as possible. So the focus of our organization, like our, our primary mandate is not to tell stories about change makers. Our primary mandate as an organization is to create transformative travel experiences for storytellers. So it would require kind of a shift in mission of our organization to incorporate that that other aspect of storytelling work. Okay, in relation to that, you say on your website that travel can be a radical act when we use it uh, to directly challenge global power dynamics. Can you maybe elaborate upon that and, and share how you achieve this with actuality abroad? Yeah. Uh, it has to do with what we as outsiders pay attention to. Like, as I mentioned, like local people care what travelers pay attention to everywhere. Um, and the tourism boards and travel marketing campaigns, they're selling you a specific kind of story about a place, a dominant narrative, if you will. Uh, and usually that's the story that they think is gonna make them the most money. But Instead of spending our energy and our money and our attention on what we're supposed to experience in any place, we choose to go find the change makers. So we are communicating as travelers that the most important thing to see and do here are the local leaders who are solving problems in their community. Now, we are a very, very small group of people any, anywhere we go. We're a tiny drop in the wave of all the tourism that's coming in, but it does matter and the stories that come out of our experiences, like the ones that we document with media, but also the personal stories that each of our storytellers goes on to talk about with their extended network, all of that has a ripple effect. But it, so in terms of the impact that it has on the individuals who participate, the, the people who, who pay to go on these uh, trips, so the, the citizen storytellers, uh, they're not professionals then I take it they're, they're people who who do just want to go and experience um, a country 
in, a, in an alternative way, a way that gets under the skin a little bit more, is maybe a bit more genuine and, and less packaged. I would, we have a, a, a variety of people that travel with us. Most of the people that travel with us do have some acute interest in media making. Some of them are professional media makers, but maybe don't get to do the kind of storytelling in their work that they, that they would like to be doing. Uh, some of them are early career, so they're maybe film students or recent graduates or even folks who are later in life who are doing a career pivot and want to use our trips as an experience for, as an, as an immersive learning experience to make a lot of progress in their in their craft um, in a short period of time. Some folks are, are media educators who are, who spend all their time in the classroom and want a supportive environment to go out and document stories on their own. So as much as I would love to appeal to the broadest traveler out there, and I really do believe that anyone can become a citizen storyteller on, on their travels, most of the people who do travel with us are a kind of filmmaker or photographer in some aspect. Yeah, I think obviously in this day and age with the tools that we have and, and the devices that we have in our pocket, then for sure anybody can be a storyteller, a citizen storyteller. They just have to be curious, I suppose, and, and um, yeah, go out and actually want to explore a particular story. Absolutely. And also like understand, understand the power that they have, that, that they have a choice in, in what they put on Instagram. And that, that, that does have a, like a real significant impact. And some of it could be negative, but with intention and thought and care and choosing experiences that are rooted in what the real people do in the destination, it also can be a, a huge benefit to the, the places that they visit. So, so you really kind of explore uh, the ethics of representation and, and how to represent people in a considered empathetic way and, and I, I assume also because there is a collaboration that the people who are being filmed are actually getting a say in terms of the editing process and what's actually being making the final cut would that be correct oh oh absolutely um now i will say it hasn't always been like that we as an organization have also been on a journey like we we started in 2010 and so as part of doing this work we were grappling with questions of ethics all throughout and as we as we learned better we began to do better but at this point and for several years up until this point um, we we create checks and balances at at almost every like major stage of production to check in with the people on the recording side of the camera and other stakeholders and make sure that everybody is everyone consents to to what's being crafted but I, i'm sure that yeah that, that poses challenges on occasion because maybe what's been said and done on the ground um maybe after the fact they they take issue or, or they don't feel comfortable about them being uh, a part of something so what what does that that element of the collaboration what challenges does that pose um i mean it's 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 just a risk in terms that the storytelling it's possible that the stories may not see the light of day um, because we 
try to practice, I mean, really a radical form of consent around all the stakeholders in the story. Because every story that we produce has multiple filmmakers involved. It has like an organizational entity usually involved. And then it has the people who the story's about um, who may not be in leadership at our partner organizations. They, they, may, they may be beneficiaries or they may be adjacent to the work that's going on. We look for just interesting human stories to tell that happen to take place in the work of our change-making partners. So, I mean, if at any point, if someone says, no, I don't want to be a part of this anymore, then we have to take it down. And that's like, that's like our ethical responsibility to do so because we don't fully understand, even though we try to have an understanding of the vulnerabilities at play and we try to provide as much information and context to, to the folks that are involved in, in all of our productions, we truly don't understand what may or may not put them at risk whether that's financially or socially or culturally. And so if at any point someone says, no, it has to come down, then it just comes down. Um, but it's, it's not all is lost because as I mentioned, it's not just about the final delivered product. It's also about the experience that everybody has as making it. And everyone is a better storyteller on the other side of it and can take what they've learned to their future work. But then that, that's that's the, an important difference between um, a citizen storyteller who's maybe independent, who hasn't necessarily been exposed to discussion around ethics and representation, and then people who maybe participate on within the work that you do, because then at least at the very outset, they are being confronted with this need to consider the other person and the person in front of the camera and, and how they're being represented. and. And that's all incredibly important um, with the speed at which things can be shared uh, nowadays. And, and once it's out in the public domain, then that's it, you have no control over it. Um, so yeah, ensuring that people in front of the camera are happy with how they're being represented is, is critical, I think. Yeah, I think that's a shift that, that we need to make as a culture, like in terms of for, for so long storytellers adopted this persona of like being the auteur like like they their it's their story they're going to craft it and in many ways it can be very extractive particularly in when you're talking about non-fiction non-fiction storytelling and social media can be that way too like you you going into a community and you know you maybe you don't have a big following but going to the community and just taking the stories just just like taking the pictures and without thought for whether or not the the, you know, the nameless locals that appear in your backdrop want to be on the internet. And so that's just, that's something we have to like grapple with in general of, around what it, to have all of these brilliant, easy, amazing storytelling tools at our fingertips. Um, and I mean, there will always be people who don't do it ethically, but we can decide as as individuals that no we 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 want to be we want to be a certain kind of storyteller and we want to be and and we want to do better and there's resources out there there's so, so many you know blog posts and online courses and mentors that that you can learn from 
who've done it, done it badly, learned from it, and are trying to do better in the world. But it, it does take an effort from the storyteller's standpoint. If you just tell stories the way you're seeing it, like all over the internet, chances are it's going to perpetuate some kind of harm. To truly be ethical about it requires effort. Uh, and you have to seek out what your personal ethical guidelines are for the work that you're going to do. Yeah, I agree. But then obviously we're informed or influenced by the culture within which we live and, and grew up in. And, you know, there is that power imbalance that that, that, uh, that needs to be addressed that, that exists and that perception of otherness that is also in existence, which is why people travel abroad. It's why people are going overseas to tell stories, and and they're yeah. So they're they're exploring that otherness, and they're also in in some way maintaining it, perpetuating it. Um, and do you think that if you actually organized the same kind of experiences within the U.S. with U.S.-based change makers, that you would have the same impact? Um. So, I mean. It- it would be a different kind of experience. Um, so again, the, the way that we organize the work that we do, it's not a very exciting answer, but it comes down to a business model, like seeing an opportunity in the travel market and then using our expertise to create a solution that people are interested in being involved in. So people want to travel abroad, like you mentioned. People are increasingly wanting their travels to have a sense of purpose. Um, many storytellers want to tell stories that matter and they're not they're not finding an opportunity to do so. And there are also lots and lots of change makers all over the world who do not have access to quality media that can aid them in in sharing what they do with a larger audience. So all of this could definitely take place in the United States. Um, but because also travel happens everywhere. Travel happens as soon as you leave your own community. So I can leave my neighborhood and I can go to another community in my hometown and I can be traveling and I can be telling stories about, about people who live differently than I do. So all this, this experience can happen in, in many ways um, in my home country, in my home, in my home state. But the reason we organize it in the manner that we do is to take advantage of a need and a want that that people have so that we can do the work like we can create anything we want but people have to sign up to go on it right so hopefully that i mean the i guess the best way to consider it is that we are we are leveraging the need for people to want to go and experience places and cultures that are different than what they know and when they travel with us we're able to give them a framework so that they can do it more consciously, more ethically, and more responsibly. Yeah, like it's it's something that obviously is uh, important to discuss within the photographic and, and filmmaking community as well in terms of that that power dynamic and and the imbalance that exists and and um, yeah the perpetuation of otherness because there are so many so many important stories that need to be told on our own doorstep that aren't being told and so many other things that are being neglected as a consequence of yeah people seeking something that's maybe considered a bit more exotic uh, and, and unfortunately that's also i suppose yeah the, maybe viewers are also seeking that out in terms of what they are experiencing they aren't necessarily wanting to engage or 
or they want to explore something that is less familiar. And so I suppose it's not just an issue with um, those people who are going out and, and telling stories. It's also those people who are the audience themselves. Um, so we're kind of caught in this conundrum whereby this this kind of exoticization and, and but ultimately we need to we need to get beyond that and, and we need to um, start focusing on on things that are happening right in front of us. Um, I think I, um, I don't think that made any sense whatsoever. But I so what I love about what you were saying and um, in a way that I I I, I have seen our crews carry on what they've learned on our trips is so there are change makers everywhere right there's the, we we used to run a competition a documentary competition where um, make it make a documentary about a change maker in your own community you submit it and the winner of the competition gets a scholarship to to one of the programs that we offer we hope to bring that we hope to bring that back but we as an organization are still rebuilding um, after the ma massive pause in travel. And so we're just not at a place to do that quite yet. But the, the ultimate hope for all of our storytellers is that they, they travel with us on, on an experience that changes the way that they tell stories moving forward to give them a, a wider worldview, to have them develop guidelines for both production systems and like in, in working ethically. And that they then they take that, they take these systems and these, these tools back into their own community to tell stories. So a lot of times what I think stops um, storytellers or aspiring storytellers from just like going out and, and finding like the remarkable change maker that happens to live around the corner is that like they don't even know how to get into it. Like what, where do I even begin? And that's one of the things that we hope that people leave with when um, after they travel with us is like a toolkit of that. Okay, well, this is how you begin the research process. And these are the questions I need to be able to a answer before I move to the next stage and so on and so forth. So I believe so strongly in the power of transformational travel because it's one of the few times in our lives where all of our distractions have fallen away and we can truly focus on just doing one thing and that's traveling through this region or for us it's these storytelling projects that that we're engaging with in country and the work that our crews do would not be possible in their hometown in the same way because they have all these other obligations and these responsibilities and these distractions. So the progress that each individual is able to make in a 10-day period or in a four-week period is immense because it's where their whole focus is. So hopefully they can make that rapid progress on like an intensive trip, you know, workshop, retreat, and then they can bring that home and feel empowered to be like, okay, well now I'm going to do a series of films about people that live right around me. Um, and, and that has happened. It's not with everybody. Everybody takes different paths um, throughout their life, but there are certainly a handful of filmmakers that have leveraged what they've learned on, on traveling with us and have gone on to create their own little production companies where they focus on telling stories that matter. And what do you think then makes a good documentary storyteller? 
what what do you instill in in the people other than the ethics and representation and things like that the actual storytelling element of it so um there's so many things but what the what stands out is that first first you have to be deeply interested in other people so to be the kind of person who's genuinely curious about like where you came from how you got here somebody who can have a conversation and listen to understand not pass judgment that skill set is so important when it comes to telling stories about real life and then i also think that it's imperative to have a good sense of structure i mean and by this i mean like story structure how does the story begin where does it take us where does it end and this this isn't always like a chronological thing but these can be learned like humans have told stories the same way since the beginning of time and in general, our stories are better when we leverage a familiar story structures to our advantage. And what, what would be familiar structures that, that you kind of promote the most? We rely heavily on hero's journey story structure, which is a little bit complex for short form story storytelling, but we kind of like distill it down. So um hero's journey story structure is based on joseph campbell's mythic story structure it's a 12-part structure that is found in epic tales and legends from cultures all over the world going back thousands of years um, this mythologist he did a study and he figured out that the stories that stood the test of time shared a similar kind of structure so we look to Hero's Journey story structure because we also would like our stories to, to stand the test of time. Um, but 12 parts is a lot to go through in, in a five or eight minute uh, video, which is largely where our stories land. So we actually distill it down to a five part structure. And we don't necessarily push this for all of the stories, but um, it's a really good place to start. And it's broken in like this. As first is the problem, and then it moves, so the problem and through visuals and through interview clips, how are you going to describe what the problem is? And then it moves to the good idea, not the solution, not the answer, not the ending, but what is the good idea? What if? So through what visuals and interview sound bites could you convey the possibility of a solution? The, I wonder if things could be different. Then we go to how it works, which are the ins and outs of whatever the process is, the crux of the journey, that uh, the character went on to get from the problem to hopefully some kind of resolution. And then the fourth stage is why. And so this is where you, you would through visuals and through voiceovers hone in on why does this matter? Why is this important? If there's a moment that people are going to get emotional, it would be in this stage of a journey um, in the fourth part. And then it goes to the answer. How did, how did, did the good idea work or what was the result or what is the change that has happened from the beginning of the story and how can you represent that with um both visual scenes and with interview sound bites okay so all this has to be achieved within five to eight minutes with all the footage i mean it can be achieved within 60 seconds um i'm working on a series of of microdocs right now it's not my favorite way to work, but we have these interviews. We have these interviews that were conducted. And so I'm going back and through these interviews and I'm trying to find the story with, with what I got. Like, so this interview happened, 
we're not doing it again. So what is the story that is within this interview that we can kind of carve out? And some of the interviews are 12 minutes long. Some of the interviews are an hour long. And when you're going through the interview and you're trying to figure out, okay, what what's good, what's in and what's out? And I always turn to like story structure um, and not always a five part story structure. Like there's half, a, there's a dozen story structures out there that, that I might leverage at different times. Um, but this five part story structure is kind of my go-to. And so I think about, okay, where are the pieces that talk about the problem? Okay, where are the pieces that hint at a good idea? Okay, where are the pieces that um, illustrate how it works? Okay, where are the pieces where they, they're, they're, they're delving into the real meaning behind of it all? And then where are the pieces where they talk about the, the results? And with that frame, I can very quickly get through an interview transcript with a story that people connect with. And then we can then we can work on the visuals to support and elevate what that audio story is conveying after the fact. So, so is that the the method that you generally use? You you do an initial interview um, with the change maker or some kind of uh, key stakeholders, interview them. Um, get all this information and uh, general understanding of the situation and uh, the environment. And then with that, you you create your narration, essentially, the, the structure using that five steps, and then you go out and get the visuals. Or is there any particular time where you start with the five steps and, and just think, right, okay, we want to try and capture this, then that, then that, and that, and start with that and, and get the footage and... and uh, then try and do it the other way around, essentially. I I very, very much prefer the other way around. I don't like starting with an interview transcript because you're so limited then. Like, so you're so, so if you, if you just have an interview, like that's this, this, the approach that I'm doing right now is just, is out of necessity. Is is out of like, we are, I am no longer there. I, we would like to deliver some content. So this is what we have to work with. The, so what we actually teach primarily is is the other way around is so is you do your research with, with no cameras with no recording equipment you do your research you try to get an understanding of the story you try to decide what kind of story you want to tell from whose perspective is the, is the story coming from that perspective is usually that becomes the main character or the protagonist of the story and then to also think strategically like who is this story for what do you want to communicate to them and I mean, like in terms of the audience and like, what is what, like, and what do you want them to do? Like what, ha, what is the strategy for the impact of this film? And so then we talk about, we, we, that's the research phase. And then once we know what the story is about, like the way I think about it is like the, a story is the telling of an event. What event is this? And from whose perspective are we experiencing this event? And almost always in the stories, in the stories that I produce, the event has already happened. Very, very rarely are things unfolding like before our eyes because we're generally in a place for set dates, for a set period of time. So we're looking for stories that have already concluded and then we're gonna find ways to, to, to tell that story. So I very much prefer that our crews get very intentional with the story they want to tell, the angle that they want to have on the story, 
and how they want to visually communicate that before we get into actually recording any interviews. So that when we get to an interview, they're able to record the angle that they want to take on the story. And I don't mean that in a manipulative way, except that like there's a hundred ways to tell every story. And so the creativity that you bring as a storyteller is, is, is just that. So if you, if you're just getting an interview transcript and you're like, all right, see what you can do with it. Like you are relinquishing so much creative energy. If you, if you let the interviewee dictate entirely what is said. Now, it definitely should be a collaboration. I, I mean, I appreciated even in this interview that you sent me the questions that we were going to discuss in advance because then I could be like way more thoughtful about what, about what, what you know, what, what I wanted to reference and things. So I, it's absolutely a collaboration, but it's a two-way thing, not one way either direction. Is there anything then that you, you've learned um, in terms of the, ref the refinement process, you were saying that so you've taken Joseph Campbell's 12 um, steps and you've condensed that down into five. Are there any other lessons that you've picked up along the way um, since creating the organization that has helped refine the work that you do and, and your storytelling skills and, and approach? Hmm. Let me think about that. Um, so we are all about systems. That's really what we want to share with our travelers and like and help them practice on our trips and then they can kind of take away what what systems and production processes that they that they would would like to utilize for the future. So there's actually there's actually a lot, but let me let me think what 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 would be relatively easy to communicate. Um or even you as you as an individual like what because obviously you, you've been doing this for a long time and obviously prior to that you you had professional experience within the Hollywood industry and then obviously you've been surrounded you grew up surrounded by people within the industry so you've you've been on quite a journey and, and but I'm sure since setting up Actuality Media that you yourself as a storyteller have evolved immensely I, I, yes absolutely I um that's the beautiful thing about being a storyteller is that it's a skill that you continually refine. The more you practice, the, like, the better you, that you get at it. Um, or maybe not even the better that you get at it, but the more you, the more you can focus your skill set. So I think maybe, even, maybe the more specialized people may get in it. So, something that I, I mean, it seems very simple, but something that I have become very clear about is the stages of production. So kind of an amateurish thing to do is to show up at a, in an unfamiliar place, like with your camera rolling and just start like, like documenting essentially surveillance footage of like what's happening. And perhaps if, if there's some sort of exciting, like urgent thing, and we just need, we just, we, we just need to document what's happening, that there can be a, a reason for that. But um, the more the more practice I get at storytelling, uh, the more intentional that I get about it. So I always have four stages of production. So there's the research, prep, production, and editing. And at any point as we go down those stages, something might kick me back to go back to the first stage, but they always go in order. Like I, we're, ne we're never going to skip a stage. And sometimes a stage could take weeks or even months, but at the very least, it's going to take minutes. So on a day where I'm showing up in a community where 
we I haven't had an opportunity to do a lot of research beforehand. And we know that we're going to be doing some documenting today. We're going to be interviewing. We're going to be um, looking for some visual scenes. The first thing that we do when we arrive on that one day is we take time to research. So, you know, cameras down, like ears open, translators nearby if that's necessary. And you try to get an understanding about like what's happening here? Like what what is what is this place about? How what how does this place fit into my what I already kind of know about the world? What what am I curious about? What piques my interest? Where might there be a story that I find interesting? And whose story is it? And so in order to move beyond the research stage, I have to personally be able to answer a couple of questions. So I have to say, what event is is this story about? What, is, what, what happened? Who's the character? Who, from whose perspective are we experiencing this event? Who is going to be the audience for this story? Um, what is the one thing that I want the audience to believe as a result of um, watching this story or occasionally reading or hearing this story? And what is the one thing I want the audience to do as a result of, of experiencing this story? And when I can answer those questions, even if they're temporary answers, even if they're just like a starting place, then I can kind of move into the next stage, which for me is prep. And so prep is for me, how are we going to tell the story? Like we, we know the story is about Dania Luisa starting a bakery in her, in her hometown, but how are we going to tell it? Where does the story begin? How do we communicate it visually? Is there a specific aesthetic that we want to prioritize? Where does the story end? In what order do we think that we're going to progress through the story? Is it going to be traditionally chronological? Are we going to jump back and forth? What visual scenes and formal interviews do we need to communicate the story? And I, I always start with visual scenes because it's so easy to just record an interview and then throw in some B-roll, but that's not cinematic. Like that's that, and we, you know, we can do better, but we have to make it, we have to like be intentional that we're going to lead with the visuals in order for that to be so. So I always think about, I don't ever think in what I call B-roll, I think in visual scenes. What visual scenes would illustrate what the, the key moments in the story? Um, and then we make a list, like I literally make a list of this is what I, this is what needs to go out and be documented. Like these are the kind of the sound bites, not putting words in anybody's mouth, but like they have to tell this part of the story. Um, we have to show this, you know, if we have to show this process, um, then once we have this list, then, then we move to production. Now those, those two stages can literally be minutes long, but the difference of stopping and doing it make all the difference in terms of what kind of story you're going to end up in. So then production for me is it's really straightforward. We just go out and document the things on the list. But many times we will get additional information or opportunities during the production process and that's gonna affect how we wanna tell the story. So in which case we're gonna revisit the previous stages. So we might be in production, but then we get, we get, we hear this interview that gives us a whole new perspective on what it means to be a baker in this town. And then we pause, not in the middle of the interview, but as soon as possible after that, we pause and we sit down and we're like, okay, do we need to do any more research on this? Okay, how does this affect, how does this affect our prep? How does this affect how we're gonna tell the story? And then we make those adjustments and then we carry on. And then in post, post is really interesting because this is where we figure out 
how to tell the best story with the footage we have. So just because we had this brilliant plan does not mean that we got back to the edit room with the pieces that we need in order to tell that story. So post is about looking at everything that you have and essentially rewriting the story so that it can be the best with what you're working with. And for this, we use a tool called the paper edit, which I don't know, I don't know if that's common in in the areas that you work in. It's kind of like a thing people like used to do like 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 decades ago and um but I'm a huge fan of it. So a paper edit is where you take all of your visual scenes and you write every scene you have, every beat you have on a post-it and you take all your great audio, your interview sound bites and you write the gist of it on a post-it and then you put it up on the wall. Like you create a visual timeline with the post-its up on the wall and you move things around. Like, okay, well, what if we actually start the story with this scene and this information? And what if we build the story in this manner? Like, like, like from big to little versus from, from little to big. And you play around with it off the computer, like with these, with these tangible like manipulatives. And it really helps you kind of very quickly try several different approaches to an edit to figure out what might be the strongest. As you're reading it on the wall, you can kind of imagine how it's going to appear on screen. And it, it allows you, it's, it's a very efficient post-production process that we use. So once we feel good about it up on the wall, we go to the edit and we make the changes. And maybe we do this over and over again, but we do it until we believe we found the best story within what we got. And, and all this takes place during uh, the period of your expeditions and, and the trips uh, overseas, this entire process from when people land to when they get back on the plane. For the longer trips that we lead, so for our four-week trips, we began our organization with a, with a program called the Documentary Outreach. And so that's a four-week trip where we go through this entire process. And we through delivery through we have a community screening in the community before anyone gets on a plane to go home um and it almost always works there's always occasionally occasionally there'll be circumstances outside of our control for our shorter trips so we we also run trips that are just a week to 10 days long we don't do the editing country so we will do all the other all the other processes but it will only take us through production and then editing is handled in a, in a different manner whether the individual storytellers want to continue the, the process back home um, guided by remote mentorship whether we as an organization take responsibility to finish the edits and deliver the stories or we're actually about to test an editing intensive after that trip so for people that want to stay on for an additional five days um, we spend six hours a day rapidly moving through um, a bunch of different, a bunch of different very short form stories so that hopefully most of it is delivered by the end of that, of that five day period. And so obviously what you create is essentially like a semi-controlled environment. It's, it's something that you're documenting after the fact. It's something that you know the boundaries, everything about it, it's there. But would you, would you necessarily approach um, things in the same way if it was something that's unfolding, something that you are observing and that you're documenting over time? 
would you approach things in the same way or would there be some different feedback loops and oh i think the feedback loops would be different i i I think that these stages are necessary for any kind of storytelling, but if you're working with a story that's rapidly unfolding, your initial research and prep is going to be very, very brief. You're going to put an emphasis on production, but then once once the production is complete, whether it be a, a one day of production or like a period of production, you're going to have to go back to the beginning and do the research prep part, like essentially treating your your existing footage, kind of like archival footage. So at that point, you know that you have this set of footage that you can utilize, but you still have to craft a story, craft the story that you want to tell, knowing that you can use your shot footage as like archival, um, knowing that you're limited visually to what you what you happen to have documented. And almost certainly after the fact, you'll be like, ah, oh, I wish that I got it from this angle or, oh, I wish, you know, I wish I did it differently, but that's just, you know, that's just part of the deal. You, you have to accept the limitations of being lucky enough to be there as something is, is rapidly unfolding. And in, in the case of something that's happening, uh, unfolding over a period of time, say you're documenting something over a year and you're going back and forth. So you find people to collaborate with and you're documenting this story, how would you approach things then? I've never done that kind of storytelling. Um, I definitely have some opinions about it. And if I were, and, and if I were to, um, if, I, if I were to get involved to produce somebody's story like that, like if I was working with a, a director or someone who like wanted my collaboration and feedback, I would pull from my past experiences to come up with some approaches about like how I think that we should approach this sort of production process. But I don't have any any experience doing long form storytelling in that way. Like in in, I mean, it's beautiful. I I love I love watching those kinds of stories, and the meaning. The true like like connection to like a universal human need meaning in those stories is is um often the the potential for that is so much greater but it just it isn't an opportunity that i've had um or i guess maybe prioritized up until now and is, is there anything looking back like obviously um you've amassed an amazing amount of experience and knowledge and skills but Looking back, is there something that you wish you had figured out sooner or skills that you feel that you lack that now that you would you wish you had kind of uh, prioritized um, earlier on? First, that uh, direct collaboration and co-creation with the people on the recording side of the camera makes for better stories. It took me a while to learn that lesson. Um, I think in part because it's also not, it's going against what was considered common knowledge when I was first starting my career. Um, and I think now the whole industry is moving more towards that. So everyone hopefully will benefit. Um, but if I had learned that sooner, my stories would have been better, quicker. Also that I, so I'm a producer. And I would hide behind my um, sort of label as a producer and not get so involved with the what I would 
what I would what I would think were the responsibilities of the director or the cinematographer or um, more like technical jobs and I'd be like well that's not I'm I'm you know I'm just the producer that's that's not my that's not that's not my skill set but when I was forced again to at, you know at some point to kind of to pick up the camera and figure it out and like and and learn how to do all the things how how to record proper sound how to how how to get you know f-stops that got that resulted in like beautiful imagery and how to interview people I became a better producer as well as developing skills in all these other areas so filmmaking is a collaborative endeavor on on a lot of the crews that we organize everybody has a primary role that they kind of take on but that doesn't mean that you don't have responsibility to support everybody else in in what they're doing and so I guess I would be I wish that I had gotten my hands dirty in every aspect of documentary filmmaking sooner rather than later so is that what the future holds for you then you're going to explore these other aspects of the documentary storytelling process yeah and um i or i don't or i don't maybe i won't back away from opportunities where i'm where more is required of me um and you know take a little bit of like personal and professional like risk and like just trying it out and and figuring it out because it generally because it generally turns out to be a wonderful experience i basically never am like oh man i wish i didn't give that opportunity a shot no yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and and as you say like it informs their other aspects of your practice um because you'll understand things yo absolutely um i remember so i remember i went to a um a talk a number of years ago and there's this very popular podcast producer or radio producer Ari Shapiro in the United States and he he has this podcast called This American Life and my husband's a big fan and so we went to one of his talks and I remember in his talk he said something that was it really hit me at the time is that when you're a creator so when you have have creative endeavors when you begin creating your ability and your talent is not going to match your aesthetic you're not going to be able to produce what you think is great work right away but you have to keep doing it because the only way that you're going to get to produce great work is by doing it over and over and over again and someday you'll know that you arrived when you can be truly honestly proud on a professional level of the work that you produce but it takes a long time it takes years um but you have to keep working or you'll never get there yeah i couldn't agree more so in terms of both you personally and actuality abroad what what does the future hold what's uh, what's on the horizon we are my whole focus right now is on trying to rebuild actuality abroad from essentially like you know the brink of non-existence from a massive pause in travel and prior to the pandemic we primarily did work with aspiring documentary filmmakers so film students or recent graduates are people who who wanted to be documentary filmmakers as a career and 
one of the realizations that I had when I had all this time to sit around and think is what I mentioned earlier about the idea that anybody can be a citizen storyteller and that the documentary experience, the documentary production experience as an activity is a brilliant way to experience a place. And so there's an opportunity, I think, for a much broader group of traveler or media maker to participate in documentary tours or documentary travel experiences. And so that's what we're gonna try, that's what we're trying to figure out is where, where is there a place or an interest for different kind, kinds of people to be a part of the experiences that we create? Um, so one of those is in making shorter form trips so that working professionals can fit it into their vacation time. Um, also appealing to a, a, like a later in life career pivot demographic, like folks who maybe was an accountant for most of their career, but now they have the means and the opportunity to, to, to really delve into what was a hobby and to maybe make it, make it more so for them. So it's a, it's a, it's going to be a bunch of experimenting to see what kind of communities of people might be interested in traveling in order to tell stories that matter. Great. And just to just to wrap up, are there any particular documentary filmmakers or photographers that you're following at the minute or that you always look out for their work and, and um, that you gain inspiration and, and knowledge from? Hold on, I have to think. Uh... In general, I don't really fangirl over a lot of creators. So when I when I follow, when I find someone that I follow um, and I'm continually inspired by their work, they're usually like relatively small, like, you know, small, small groups or small, small organizations. I guess maybe because I find what they're doing achievable for me. Like, I, I don't necessarily look at uh, documentary filmmakers that are being nominated for Oscars and consider that in the scope of where, where, where I'm going to put my energy for, like, the next 10 years. Like, that's, that's, that's playing on, honestly, on a level that I'm not, not interested in, in playing at right now. So I look for people that inspire me to take the next couple of stages um, in my work. And so someone who I think produces unbelievable documentary storytelling, it's actually in the form of a podcast. Um, her name is Kat Jaffe, and she has an organization called House of Pod. And she recently got a National Geographic Storyteller Grant and produced this unbelievable podcast called Guardians of the River that explores responsible travel and conservation and um, the ethics of all of it, it is, and it is, it is so rich and beautiful. I cannot, cannot, I don't even, I don't, I, I can't say enough about Guardians of the River. Um, and I, and, and she's literally someone who I cannot wait for the next thing that she produces because I was so blown away by, by that particular work. There's also um, a woman in Canada named Dani Khan de Silva, and she has an organization called Photographers Without Borders. And it's with an emphasis on documentary photography, but there also is, um, like a, a video film aspect of their community. And she's built this whole nonprofit organization about training and enabling photographers to do ethical storytelling, um, both at home and abroad. And they fund documentary storytellers, both 
photo and video that with like micro grants and a, a big aspect of their work is they do require that the storyteller be connected to the community that that they are telling stories about in some way. It, um, it doesn't have to be a direct connection, but it's a part of all their application processes, which I was very impressed with. And then there's this organization called the Global Oneness Project. Um, and they have a series of documentary films and other media that all explore the environment or social justice or indigenous sovereignty in some way through their storytelling. And every documentary comes with a, like a teacher packet. Like it's meant for it to be screened in, in classrooms, but they're also just brilliant resources for anybody to review after they screen their films. And most of their films are quite short. They're, they're five to 20 minutes. Um, but every single one that they, the, the films they curate are extremely high quality, very interesting character-driven storytelling and beautifully and beautifully documented. And then, I mean, he doesn't need another plug, but like Brandon Stanton of Humans of New York is, is continually inspiring um, with his short form storytelling. So those folks. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much. And yeah, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's been great chatting to you, great finding out about, about your work and also your approach to storytelling. So th thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Chris. I, I appreciate this on so many levels, even just, even just going through um, the questions that you organized and like getting an opportunity to really think about them. Um, Cause you know, you get so busy in the day-to-day -day tasks that have to get done to get a moment to actually to go back and like think back and be like, oh yeah, that's right. That's 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 what's motivating my six a.m. wake ups every morning. <laughs> um, so I really I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure, and uh, yeah, thank you again. Thanks for listening to the Documentary Storytellers podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to my chat with Aubrey, and if you would like to learn more about Aubrey's organization, Actuality Abroad then click on the link in the podcast description. There you'll also find links to people and organizations mentioned by Aubrey. Please be sure to follow, rate and review the podcast and share it with others. And thanks again for listening. And until next time, take care.